Good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. Won't you share with a friend or two? Good morning, good morning to you, you, good morning, good morning, good morning to you, you, good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Daring Dialogues. I'm your host today, Shantae Charles. I hope that you're having a great and wonderful day. I tell you, I am. I want to say thank you to a couple of people, and I want to say thank you for a couple of things. The first thing I want to say thank you for is thank you to those that are listening, that are sharing that are commenting, that are leaving voice messages, that are DMing me and saying how much they are enjoying the broadcast, things that they find insightful, um, asking for follow-up with book recommendations and those kinds of things. I do want to say thank you because for me, that means that you're listening. That means that uh, what we're sharing here is inspiring you. Um, what we're sharing is insightful, uh, insightful, not insightful, insightful. Um, and what we're sharing is bringing value to your life in some way, shape or form. So I do want to say thank you because that is giving me feedback as to the kind of content that we're sharing and also sort of where I want to go for the coming year and for the rest of season 13. I also want to say thank you to our donors. Thank you to those who have chosen to do subscriptions. Um, if you've chosen to do one through Spotify, I want to say thank you for that. You can subscribe on Spotify for as little as 99 cents a month, which is awesome. You can also join our Patreon. We do have a free level on Patreon, and then we have some tiered levels there at patreon.com forward slash daring dialogues. Um, I have made up my mind to do a lot more content over in Patreon. So you do want to join there, um, especially for the coming year. I am going to be releasing more content in Patreon because they've added some more features that allows me to do that very simply and very easily. Also, if you are on Facebook, you can subscribe through Black Table Talk. So if you've been visiting us on Facebook on Tuesdays on our Black Table Talk page, we have over 100,000 subscribers there. And if you want to, um, over 100,000, excuse me, followers there. And if you want to subscribe to the Black Table Talk content, it's $2.99 a month to subscribe there. All right. So there are several different options of subscription. If you want to um, tangibly support what it is that we do, right? 
Um, this allows me to do things like travel, go to museums, check out information, film, bring that content back to you and share it. It also allows us to support local and global efforts, um, things like helping single mothers, things like helping college students with uh, book supplies, um, things like helping the homeless in our local community. That is where the majority of the funding goes that people give to this platform. Why? Because I own businesses and I also work a full-time job. <laughs> so you're not funding my lifestyle. So I want that to be very, very clear that if you are subscribing, you might be covering some of the things I do outside of that. You might be covering some of my trips to the local museum to gather content. But for the most part, you really are supporting um, hello, good morning. You really are supporting what we do locally and globally. So if you are a part of the We Dare Squad, you already know that we meet quarterly and we actually go over the organizations that we give to. So one thing about us, as far as your subscriptions and those who are part of the We Dare Squad, they know where their donations are going. Um, I am very transparent about that because the whole point of it is to allow us to be a helping hand to people both locally and globally. So if you want to participate in that, as I said, you can either subscribe on the podcast, on Spotify, um, Google Play, or you can subscribe on Black Table Talks page, or you can go to patreon.com forward slash during dialogues, become a free patron there, and then you can check out our tiered levels. Um, and those tiers will kind of tell you what is given at each level of support. All right. So I'm going to hop in now to our Thinking Thursday reading, Reading While Black by Esau McCauley. One more thing. I forgot to say thank you to. I want to personally say thank you to the people who are dreaming about me. <laughs> I know that might be a weird thing to thank people for, but there are some dreams in my heart that are really, really, really deep down in my heart of things that I want to do, things that I desire to do, things that I have a mind and a dream to do, right? And lately, I've been having people reach out to me to say, hey, I dreamed about you. Can I share that dream with you? And I've been open to hearing from people and what they've been dreaming about literally has been exactly what I've been having in my heart to do. Things that I've conversed with God about and not so much with people about. And so I wanna say thank you for hearing God and allowing him to speak to you about me and then being obedient enough to actually bring that dream out and say, Hey, this is what I saw. How do you need help getting this done? Or this is what I saw and I'm praying for you that it will manifest. And so for me, that really, really means a lot to me because I often feel like when it comes to that, I'm on the other end, I'm usually seeing for other people and sharing with other people and praying for other people and assisting other people in making things happen for them. And so 
that really meant a lot to me. This has actually been happening to me over the last 30 days. So I want to thank those people, you know who you are, who've reached out to me and shared. I want to thank you for having the heart to actually hear what God is saying about my dreams. So that's really powerful. All right, now I'm going to get into Reading While Black, African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope. And let me not forget, one of those dreams um, may be coming to fruition very, very soon. We're looking at tentatively November 28th, and we're going to call it Chateau Chante's Creative Cafe. And we're going to do a live streaming arts cafe where people can come in, they can share songs, they can uh, play music, they can show us what they're creating, basically. Show us what you're creating, or you can be creating something in real time and share that with us. And so we're looking at November 28th as the date and 6 p.m. as the time. We're going to be meeting this week. Um, to sort of hash out the details. So details will be forthcoming. We want to try to get details out maybe by this weekend so that people can plan to be there. Again, November 28th, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, streaming page <laughs> to be announced. But just know we are working on all the details. All right, now we're going to be talking about the baptism of the son and the hope of the disinherited. And then we're going to look at the sermon of the son and the conclusion. And then we'll be done with this chapter. The baptism of the son and the hope of the disinherited. This is coming from Luke chapter 3 verses 21 and 22. So if you want to grab that and read along just so you know his reference point. He says, we first encounter Jesus when he is about to be baptized by John near the Jordan River. As stated earlier, anyone with a passing knowledge of the great stories of Israel couldn't miss the point of the location. The same God who acted to liberate his people from Egypt was on the verge of another great work. John and Jesus's ministry takes place in the shadow of the Exodus and therefore the black hermeneutical practice of highlighting the Exodus is thereby vindicated. God did not choose the Egyptians. He chose the enslaved. And this is the story evoked as Jesus begins his ministry. What does God tell us at Jesus's baptism? He calls Jesus, my son, the beloved. A lot of times I use the word dearly beloved. Um, for that same reason, that we are God's beloved, that we are God's children. So I'm, I generally say it not as a way to be like um, sarcastic or anything like that, because I know sometimes people say beloved, but they're being sarcastic. No. <laughs> if I say beloved to you, or if I say dearly beloved, I'm referring to the fact that you are beloved by God. You are a child of God. You are God's precious person. So he says, my son, the beloved, with you, I am well pleased. Luke three twenty two. 
Recognizing Jesus as son speaks to black concerns for justice because sonship is linked to kingship and righteous rule. Once we agree that Jesus is the son of God and Israel's true king, the next question becomes, what kind of king will he be? What are the key facets of his rule? Kingship in the Bible is linked to justice. We see this in the royal psalm, Psalm 72, verses 1 through 4. According to the psalmist, the king who reflects God's own justice is on the side of the poor and disinherited. Jesus' kingly sonship is inseparable from God's justice because Israel's king cares for the poor. Or rather, the kings that God sent <laughs> cared for the poor. The rest of Luke's gospel will reveal that Jesus is not son merely because he is king like all the other kings of Israel. He is son because he shares in the divine identity of the father that precedes the creation of the world. Someone asked the question the other day um, if, if people believed that Jesus was God. And I think the good or the better answer to that is Jesus is supposed to be, or he is the son of God, right? He is God in the flesh. He is God made manifest in a certain time frame in history. He was a real person, according to historians of the time, who did not even believe in Christianity, but they knew that Jesus existed and Jesus was a real person. Um, and so he is described, right? So who is Jesus? He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. As the, as the scripture says, he's the word made flesh. When God decided to come down and relate to his creation, he came in the form of Jesus the Christ, his son. The sermon of the son, Luke 4, 15 through 20. Following Jesus' baptism, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Hasatan, or Satan, the adversary. We are again in the world of the Exodus. When Israel is tested in the wilderness, she fails and abandons the God who saves us. Jesus, by contrast, remains true to God by showing his commitment to the scriptures in Luke 4, 1-13. Three times, Jesus responds to Satan's temptation by quoting Deuteronomy, the text given to Israel on the verge of their entry into the promised land. By citing Deuteronomy, Jesus sets the stage for his first sermon in Nazareth to be heard as the greater law. They are words for the formerly enslaved on the verge of receiving God's promises. One more point needs to be made here as it specifically relates to black Christian biblical interpretation. In chapter one, I argue that all theology is canonical and that everyone who attempts to think about the Bible must place the variety of biblical texts in some kind of order, understanding one in light of others. This isn't unique to black Christians. Everyone does it. The question isn't always which account of Christianity uses the Bible. The question is which does justice to as much of the biblical witness as possible. 
There are uses of scripture that utter a false testimony about God. I mean, look around. (laughs) Boy, that needs to be a whole billboard. There are uses of scripture that utter a false testimony about God. Raise your hand or put some hearts on the screen if you have seen lately people using scripture to give a false testimony or impression of who God is and what God's character is. Like I've seen it so much lately that I'm just like, I need to regenerate brain cells from the way that people are using scripture to justify whatever they believe or whoever they want to attack or whatever doctrine they want to, um, you know, demand that people follow. Um, yeah, just, I saw a clip, somebody, uh, put up a clip of a minister the other day saying that, you know, the stars and the universe is, is evil and demonic. And I'm like, but you do realize we live in a universe, right? You do realize that, (laughs) you do realize that we live in the Milky Way, one tiny galaxy among millions, right? looking the stars are evil the stars are demonic you do realize that the magi the wise men if it was not for the stars they wouldn't have known when to look for jesus and they wouldn't have known where to look for jesus and we would still be clueless to this day that christ had been born Yeah. (laughs) So sometimes we're shouting about things and we're saying amen to things that don't actually make sense. They weren't worshiping the stars. They were using the stars to give them information about the Messiah. That's it. The writer here says, This is what we see in Satan's use of scripture in the wilderness. The problem isn't that the scriptures that Satan quotes were untrue, but when made to do the work that he wanted them to do, they distorted the biblical witness. This is what I tell people when, if you go back and read um, the conversation between Jesus and Hasatan, which is the actual word, the adversary, okay? When you go back and read that, if you look at what he's saying to Jesus and you study what he's saying to Jesus, you can see how he's twisting the scriptures and Jesus catches him every time and rightly divides the word by giving a counter verse to what he's trying to twist. The writer here says, this is my claim about the slave master exegesis of the antebellum South. The slave master arrangement of biblical material bore false witness about God. This remains true of quotations of the Bible in our own day that challenge our commitment to the refugee, the poor, and the disinherited. But we have wandered far from the wilderness of first century Judea. Luke's point is plain enough. Jesus triumphs where corporate Israel failed. Following his victory over temptation in the wilderness, Jesus arrives in Nazareth and delivers his first sermon. Jesus stands to read in the synagogue 
and he is given the scroll for the prophet Isaiah. Providence had this book as the assigned text, but Jesus chose which portion of the text to read. If you've ever been in a synagogue or attended a synagogue service, um, you know that this is true, right? They, they assign a, they have a text that they're supposed to read, but the person can choose out of the text what to read. Luke records a conflation of Isaiah 61 and 1 and Isaiah 58 and 6. Isaiah 61 and 1 speaks about the servant of Yahweh who has reappeared throughout Isaiah 40 through 66. In this passage, the servant states his God-given mission. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. Now, for people who say that the spirit of the Lord God is on them, they need to be asking themselves, Are, am I anointed? Am I bringing good news to the oppressed? Is anybody's broken hearted being, broken heart being bound up or is it being wounded further? And am I proclaiming liberty to people who are held captive? Am I proclaiming release to people who feel like prisoners? Isaiah 58 and 6, also alluded to by Jesus during his sermon, occurs in the context of God's critique of the false religiosity of Israel. Why do we fast, but you do not see? I don't know about you, but I pay attention to people who are always praying and fasting and then always messy. Always doing the exact opposite of love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. But you're always praying and you're always fasting. You're always having a prayer conference. You're always having a fasting something. <laughs> that is called false religiosity. I'm not going to it. I'm just trying to be honest with people today. I'm not going to it. Because I see you. And your fruit tells me that it's false religiosity. Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fasting day and oppress all your workers. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the yokes, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? God says that is what a fast is for. A fast is not just for you to lose weight. A fast it's supposed to be about freeing people from injustice. A fast is not supposed to be about you getting a car. A fast is supposed to be about letting the oppressed go free. A fast is not about increasing your bank account. A fast is about breaking every yoke of bondage. <laughs> so, if you're going to fast, make sure you understand the purposes of fasting.
If you're going to diet, that's a different thing. If you're going to fast, understand the purposes of fasting. What do these two texts as central pillars of Jesus's ministry mean for black Christians? First, Jesus preaches the gospel to the poor. The brokenhearted are healed and those in bondage are set free. This shows that those whom society has declared secondary receive the place of priority in the kingdom. In a society where black lives have been historically undervalued, we can know that we have an advocate in the person of Christ. This theme of God's value of the undervalued highlighted by Jesus runs right through the New Testament. Paul speaks about it when he says God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing the things that are. 1 Corinthians 1 and 28. James argues much of the same in his letter when he says, Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? James 2 and 5. Jesus' reading of the Israelite prophetic tradition becomes paradigmatic for the church. Isaiah 61 and 1, as a central pillar of Jesus' ministry philosophy, tells the black Christian that neither slavery, nor Jim Crow, nor housing discrimination, nor loan discrimination, nor any other weapon influences God's love for them. In fact, it is just the opposite. God displays his glory precisely in rejecting the value systems posed by the world. It is the rejection of the world's evaluation that lifts the soul of the black Christian because this country has repeatedly claimed that blacks are ontologically inferior. It is important to point out that the gospel preached here and elsewhere does more than affirm the value of the poor. Jesus sees them as moral agents capable of repentance. Stated differently, it is often stated that good news for the poor is bread or a job or political freedom. That is true in as far as it goes, but Jesus also cared about the spiritual lives of the poor. He saw them as bodies and souls. His call to repent acknowledges the fact that their poverty doesn't remove their agency. The poor are capable of sin and repentance. Repentance means that even if they remain poor, they can do so as a, as a different person. Remember, repent doesn't mean turn from sin. Repent means metanoia, or it means to change your mind. And guess what happens when we start changing our minds and thinking more like Christ? Somehow that tends to go in correlation to the other scripture where the apostle says, I would that they may as prosper and be in good health, even as their soul prospers. So a lot of times when people change their mind, they're changing their way of being, they're changing their thoughts, they're changing their processes, they're changing their environment, they're changing how they think in all areas of their life, they start to see improvement. The enslaved recognize this. We see this on page after page of their testimony. Yes, they longed for actual freedom, 
but they also rejoiced in the change that was wrought in their lives by the advent of God within them. Even though many of them did not see physical freedom, they still had spiritual freedom with the hope that this would not always be the case for their descendants. And look at where we are today. Now, we have some measure of physical freedom and many of us have a measure of spiritual freedom, but we still have some who are still bound in their minds that still need to be free. The second Isaiah allusion included in Jesus's first sermon, Isaiah 58 verse six, prevents us from too much focus on the poor as moral agents to the exclusion of the fact that they are actually poor. Isaiah 58, one through six, lambasts a fake religiosity that is more concerned with ritual than transforming the lived situation of the poor. According to Isaiah, true practice of religion ought to result in concrete change, the breaking of yokes. He does not mean the occasional private act of liberation, but to break the chains of injustice. What could this mean other than a transformation of the structures of society that trap people in hopelessness? Jesus has in mind the creation of a different type of world. Jesus's ministry and the kingdom that he embodies involve nothing less than the creation of a new world in which the marginalized are healed spiritually, they're healed economically, they're healed psychologically. The wealthy inasmuch as they participate in and adopt the values of a society that dehumanizes people, find themselves opposing the reign of God. This dehumanization can take two forms. First, it can treat the poor as mere bodies that need food, but not the transforming love of God. Second, it can view them as souls whose experience of the here and now should not trouble us. This is false religion that has little to do with Jesus. Conclusion. The black Christian is often beset from the left and the right. Those on the right too often contend that the Bible speaks to their souls and not the liberation of their bodies. We call this a disembodied gospel. Those on the left maintain that those on the right are correct. The Bible doesn't clearly address the needs of black and brown folks. Therefore, it must either be supplemented or replaced. I'm not claiming that the Bible outlines the policies necessary for the proper functioning of a democratic republic. I am saying that it outlines the basic principles and critiques of power that equip black Christians for their life and work in these United States. So I'm going to stop there today to give us some time to... Um, Chop it up a little bit. Chapter five is where we'll be next week. And that chapter is entitled Black and Proud, the Bible and Black Identity. Mm, 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 mm. Now, this is going to be interesting because um, depending on which Christian stream you're from, there are a couple of streams of thought. Right. There are people who say 
there's an African presence in the Bible. And then there are people who say the Bible is African. <laughs> I'm on the side of the Bible is African because it's happening in Africa with African people and an African savior. It's not just sprinkles of African people in the text. It is African text. Now it was translated, especially the New Testament. The New Testament was written in the common communication languages of the time, which would have been Greek and Aramaic New Testament. Okay. So ask yourself, what side of that, que that question are you on? Do you think that the Bible has an African presence or do you think that the Bible is African because it's dealing with and talking to and about African people? Now, are there Romans? Yes, there are Romans because and there are also Greeks and there are Hellenistic Greeks. I teach on all this professionally, by the way. But the text is not primarily about Rome. It's not primarily about the Greeks. It's not primarily about the Hellenistic Greeks. The text is about the Hebrews and the Hebrews are Africans. something to think about. All right. If you have been listening by Google Play or Spotify, I want to thank you again for your time and your attention. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness. So continue to go out and be light. Take care, be well, and be light.